Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Scott Hunter, founder of VitaVu. Scott shares his fly fishing journey, and we take a deep dive into all things VitaVu. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or our Android app. We organize our content by category, so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free, and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to the interview. Well, Scott, welcome to the Articulate Fly. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Um, it, that's that's a tough one. I've got two that stick out really early. Um, obviously, we can't remember back to those first times we were out. Uh, fortunately, my dad got me started fishing when I was tiny. Um, but I do remember sneaking out on a little farm pond at the Panhandle of Nebraska with my grandfather. And uh, he got me catching bluegill. And uh, one of my most amazing fishing days probably ever, and even still to this day, was that day. Um, he was my, my, I was born on his birthday, so we had a kind of a special bond. He took me out. And we must have caught 15 or 20 little bluegill. And I insisted that he clean them all so we could take them home for dinner. <laughs> and bless him, he did. So uh, that was a special one. And then I remember uh, doing some, some special stuff with my dad up uh, trout fishing, you know, just little panther martins or you know small little worm on a hook or otherwise a little guy uh, fishing small streams up in the black hills of south dakota Uh, special place and uh, a lot of good memories up there yeah very neat when did you come to the dark side of fly fishing (laughs) well i you know dark side light side the question of whether or not you're asking my wife i guess huh yeah but uh, but, (laughs) but long story short i uh you know i graduated um, from the University of Wyoming, and that was the only thing I asked for um, as graduation present for my folks was a fly rod, and uh, my dad came through. So it was it was right after I graduated from college. Um, I would have loved to start sooner, especially looking back now. I mean, growing up in Casper, Wyoming, right on Gray's Reef and uh, Miracle Mile, and all the other special special spots around there. But uh, but now I, I I miss that boat, so to speak, and uh, uh, but I have since made up for it in many ways. Uh, well, there you go. And, you know, as you mentioned, you grew up in Wyoming, but you came east for graduate school. What made you head this way and stay, of all things? You know, that is one of the questions I get most regularly from folks. And it's just they, they hear Wyoming, especially in this world, and they're just like, are you, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, to be fair and honest, I mean, I knew I wanted to start this business. And uh, even even as early as when I was a senior in undergrad you know and then I took a job in between and went to work selling internet and internet systems and otherwise and ended up growing into telecommunication systems for oil fields and the sort and made good money um was in a beautiful place but I was miserable uh, with the job and um so I, I wanted to go back to school and get that done and at the time I was looking around at what schools are gonna you know equip me best and I guess I just I just fired some shots out there without any thought of acting being included in any of those programs and I was blessed um, to, to be included in the one at Babson which uh, for the last 
gosh, I don't know, 25, 30 years running has been the, the best school for someone who, like me, wants to start their own business. Um, so I got to roll into their entrepreneurship intensity track and uh, learn from some of the masters of the, the entrepreneurial craft, if you will, and, and networks with some amazing people. And um, it was it was one of those things that you just you just get on the boat and you go do your job and you come home, you know, and uh, had every intention of moving home. And then life had a different path for us. So we ended up kind of uh, establishing some roots up here in the Northeast. And um, though Wyoming will always be home. You know, I, right now I've, uh, I've, I've made Massachusetts, uh, you know, another, another step along that journey. Yeah, it's really neat because doing research for the article, I actually saw where I guess it's uh, the folks that published the case studies for Harvard Business School had picked up your case study from Babson. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yep, it, it's taught at Harvard. It's taught at Babson it's, uh, and any, any other school that subscribes to those HBS uh, cases uh, certainly do it. And then it's actually included in the, the Entrepreneurship 101 textbook uh, that a lot of schools use, which is flattering. But uh, to be fair, I mean, the story that, that is mine, I guess, is as painful as it was for me to experience for, firsthand, you know, if I can save some others, some of the, the heartache <laughs> by sharing mine, uh, you know, certainly with, uh, you know, it, it, hopefully it makes the, the world a little better place. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, to be a case study, there was probably some yellow snow involved somewhere, right? There had to have been a little bit. Yeah, no, I they, they picked me up because I was the ultimate uh, uh, don't give up story. Uh, it's, it's a long one, but I'd be happy to share bits and pieces of it if you if you think we have the time. But suffice it to say, I, I, I swung and missed and swung and missed and just just kept swinging. Uh, one of my marketing professors at Babson preached out of a book called The Drunkard's Walk. Whole idea being that you just you just got to stay vertical, you know. And if you stay vertical long enough, you end up making it home from the bar, and <laughs> you don't get hit by a bus or a train along the way, and end up face down in a gutter or otherwise. Um, but eventually, you make it. And uh, you know, it's, I was blessed to be able to see that. Yeah, and in 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 tow, I'm still vertical and still making it on home. So uh, you just got to keep trugging. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that applies to so many different things. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think a lot of people, and I know you selected Babson for the entrepreneurial path, but, you know, most people that get an MBA don't generally go down that entrepreneurial path first and take a more traditional, you know, MBA career path. What made you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I know you spoke a little bit earlier about kind of being miserable, uh, selling telecom stuff, but what's behind that story? Yeah. So when I was, uh, a junior in college, I, I mean, I had always been an outdoorsman. I grew up through the scouting program and was a hiker and backpacker and climber and, um, obviously an avid fisherman. Um, a lot of what I did fishing wise was up in the, in the mountains in Wyoming, um, on my own and otherwise too. So, um, hike in there, set up a camp and fish. That was, that was kind of my love. To, to put it mildly. Um, but frankly put, when I was uh, a senior, I had to write a thesis for the honors program at UW, and I, I talked them out of making me write some silly econ paper um, and instead gave them uh, a proposal to let me write a, a business plan instead for a, a new venture. And I was the first of my kind to do that, I guess. So um, they accepted it and gave me the opportunity to do it. And I went through uh, an entrepreneurship competition at that time as a finalist went forward. But to be frank, I mean, I, it might as well have been written in crayon as for the, the substance that was in it. I, 
I had a lot to learn yet. And, uh, but it planted the seed of, of starting this business and, and doing it right. And so in 2005, I guess I took that first plunge um, toward this path. And so the in-between years, you know, just helped me learn more about what to do and, and frankly put what not to do um, as an employer um, and as a, a leader and, and otherwise in business. And so I learned a lot about what I, what I could potentially do to be right to my employees and be successful from a, um, you know, a man who was, had established himself and done very well. Um, and then, uh, was given the opportunity to go back to school and, and, and started the, the program with the full plan in mind that I was going to launch as soon as I graduated. And, uh, to, to be frank, I mean, I was presented with a couple opportunities, um, that were very difficult to turn my back on. Um, one was to be part of the IBM think tank actually, and be one of those, um, lab rats, <laughs> for lack of a better term, you know, to try and figure out where the world was going technologically speaking and try and figure out ways to make it a better place. And, uh, that was a tough one to turn down, but, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. You know, it's, it's been a hard road, but it's been a, an extremely meaningful one along the way too. Um, and, and going through those hard struggles, you know, uh, people see a backpack on the wall. They, they don't think there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I, definitely can attest that there is. <laughs> yeah, it, I think that's true. You know, whatever entrepreneurial path you go down, you know, how did you get the idea for, for VitaVoo? It's a great question. Um, quite frankly, I, I use stuff and there were a lot of wonderful pieces out there. You know, I, I used a little bit from everybody and uh, it was all good, but none of it quite hit the mark for what I was looking for. And uh, so when I was kind of heading down that path. One of the, the big things I wanted to do was to bring manufacturing back to the United States and to try and figure out how to do it here, and how to do it simpler and cleaner and, and uh, get away from 5,000 pockets and, you know, little specialized features that may or may not be uh, necessary. You know, this is a, uh, we don't need a, a refrigerated glove box, so to speak, you know, where it's just fishing. <laughs> so to make it, more suitable for a broad range of people, you make it less specialized for anyone. And, uh, and that was a kind of a thing I hung my hat on early and just tried to build simple, lightweight, bomb proof stuff that was going to last and, and treat people right. Make more of their time on the water. Yeah. So it was really kind of an anti fiddliness campaign, right? <laughs> I've never heard it put quite that way, but sure. That worked. So where'd the name come from? So outside of Laramie, Wyoming, on uh, on the interstate there between Laramie and Cheyenne, is a, is a state park called Vitavu. Um, it's a, it's actually a Native American word, which you know re- loosely translates to Garden of the Earth. Uh, it's spelled differently, um, V E D A U W O O, um, instead of how we we did it phonetically for the brand. But to be frank, uh, it was a special place to me and a place I had a lot of fun when I was in college and before hiking and climbing and playing around and fishing and doing the sort. So it kind of covered all the bases of that outdoor sport love that I had. And uh, so it, it made the high list. And then ultimately, it was my three-year-old son at the time. He he decided to pick that particular one. I think it was because it was most fun to say. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's the one who picked our name, actually. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, I have to ask you, Scott, did you have any previous sewing experience at all? No, no, I did not, sir. Not a bit, not a lick. I actually started the brand, uh, 
working with an outside uh, third party uh, gentleman who was incredibly skilled, um, but very expensive. Um, he did a lot of work for Camelback and Marmot and um, REI and others. And I, I basically presented ideas to him. And he was going to be my turnkey service to help me get everything produced and manufactured and the whole deal. And uh, uh, we were we were going down that path. And unfortunately, it, it almost completely bankrupted me that first year, bled me dry um, in all the costs associated with, you know, the design and the sourcing and going back and forth. And then he'd find a factory for me and fast forward a few months and a major company walks in and buys all the unused capacity. And I was out on my ear and start the process all over again. I mean, those first two years were the ultimate start, start, stop, start, stop, very difficult, challenging years and, uh, very expensive years. And, uh, got down to my last 700 bucks in the bank that way. Um, it was about time to roll up the carpets and call it done. And I had a, this is a kind of a well-known story now. Um, but, uh, I had a conversation with Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia, um, right around that critical time. And, uh, he flat out told me, he's like, look, you know, I'll tell you what I told Fletcher, his son. He's like, you can't build something with your own hands. You got no business being in business. It's like, if you, if you want to put a zipper somewhere, you might think this is a great place for a zipper, but it might triple your cost or make things impossible to build. I mean, you, you got to understand the ins and outs of the process. So you can't do anything. And, uh, it was, it was amazing words. So I got on Craigslist, bought a sewing machine and drove to Rhode Island and picked it up, bought $300 worth of fabric and buckles and sort and paid my website up for a year. Figured I'd give it one more year and, uh, had a $12 safety net to, to carry me through <laughs> and, uh, went to my garage and taught myself to sew. So very neat. How long did it take you to kind of, um, I guess we won't say perfect, but workmanlike. It, it took a long time. <laughs> that, that first year of product, you know, bless those, those kind souls who, who took some of the first things I made and, and put them to use. You know, I remember one of the guys from Howler bought one of the first things I ever made. He says it's still there. I, I imagine it, it is, but I, it's not the most beautiful thing on the planet. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot and have continued to over the years. And I, I think that's one of the perks of having now been in business 12 years. We, we, keep getting better and getting better and simpler and cleaner with what we do. But, uh, the good, the good news for a lot of folks out there is I don't have to build it all anymore. (laughs) You know, I've got some good folks behind me that actually so faster and better than I can. So, um, but, uh, but I got decent at it. It probably took me 14 solid months of, of aggressive work trying to figure out how things go together and how to design and how to pattern and how to, you know, isolate, you know, sections of the build so that you can maximize your time and improve the quality of what you're trying to do. And, um, learned about tools that I didn't even know existed long after I needed them. Um, that made things even easier and just, just kept trucking forward. Yeah. Very neat. And, you know, we, we've touched on this a little bit and, and, you know, folks that are familiar with your brand know that, you know, being handmade here in the United States and you use a lot of repurposed materials, that's really kind of the at the core of what you do. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, your design philosophy and process? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the design, that, like that third-party vendor I mentioned earlier, a lot of what they did, they'd, they'd start with kind of like a, a, a digital drawing. 
on a on a wall, so to speak, and you know, almost like a slide deck, and send that through with rough dimensions, and then expect the factory to do the design. Beyond that, um, and there's there's a lot of pieces that get lost in translation. There's details that maybe don't get thought through, and so I, from a very early standpoint, I, I kind of went old school um, and just just got out the, the plastic and mylar and rough fabric, and I just start I just start selling. You know, figuring out what fits and what doesn't and what works and how it feels when you're wearing it. Okay, that angle doesn't work. Let's tweak that. So it's a, a very iterative process going back and forth. May end up taking longer in the long run um, to get it done right. But when it when it comes through, um, it shows, you know, that we, we thought out all those little details. And, you know, some of, like when I do a demo for folks, they're like, holy cow, you, you've literally tried to think of everything and every little detail. Like, and I short and sweet try to tell them no i i overthink it <laughs> so you don't have to yeah um and i guess that's that's kind of the cornerstone of what we've done and it's continued to work and not all products we've made have been have been winners but we've had a lot of success with what we've built over the years um with very few um duds so to speak uh, i think because of that reason yeah, it's interesting because, you know, listening to you to talk about it, like I can see how, you know, it's, cl- it's clear, you know, as we're talking that you have a very, very clear idea of the problems you're trying to solve with the gear. And, and I could see ha- I could see how it'd be almost impossible, even if you took someone who was talented for making outdoor gear to kind of get that level of concern and interest into the product. Yeah, it's definitely that's well said. That's well said. Um, it's a, imagine trying to find a person who has a, a true passion for the sport like you do that also has that skill set specific to producing bags and packs. Um, there's very few people in the world who, who are on that, on that level. Um, and to be frank, I wasn't. I had the passion for it, but I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So it's, like I say, it's probably taking us longer than it, it, I, you know, I would have liked it to, um, but, uh, but it's established that foundation the way it needed to be by me teaching myself how to do it and learning through the years and constantly improving so that we could continue to still be here after all these years, you know, and the fact that we are, I think stands testament to our work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously you've gotten faster at innovating and prototyping, but, you know, in the early days, I mean, how long would it take you to kind of go from, you know, concept to retail? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, the first backpack I ever made took me a little over a week, start to finish. Um, if I was trying to do that again today and it took me a little over a week, there's there's nobody on the planet <laughs> who would pay what it's worth. Um, and fortunately, we've been able to be a lot more uh, a lot more design oriented that focuses on the process of the construction now. And that's allowed us to get that time frame down to where it, where it's good for our company. Um, we're obviously not out making, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 time multiples like, like some folks do, but, but we're making a, a, a fair living with what we do um, and, uh, and doing our best to do it and deliver a quality product every time. Um, but right now our, our timeline is probably right around a two to three months from the time that we launch a or get a product, you know, defined, going through the process, getting it dialed in um, to when we could potentially first start delivering to customers. Um, 
but I, I tend to try to put the brakes on that a little bit further just so that we, we do some thorough testing and review and table it for a while and come back to it just so that we can apply new thoughts or, you know, kind of keep it fresh. So we, we typically work on about a, you know, a, a 12 year month cycle as well. A lot like others do, um, to be able to develop new products and roll them out. Um, and it's, it's worked well for us. Yeah. Interesting too. And you know, while you've been talking, I was kind of thinking, you know, you were really, um, you were doing slings before slings were really kind of mainstream in fly fishing too. You know, like everybody's got them now, but you know, when I kind of think back and as I was preparing for the interview, you know, I, I would imagine if you went back, you know, 10 plus years, you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of fly fishing slings. I, there were definitely slings out there, but they were nothing like they are now. And, uh, you know, by us or by other, you know, I, I think that have, has evolved a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that some of the things that we, we kind of did first have, have kind of uh, entered the market on a broader sense with some of, uh, some of our fellows in the industry have been able to, to leverage some of what we've, we've done and brought it tighter. And I think that's, that's good for everybody. You know, when we make an innovation and, and it works and, and others are able to pick up and run with that. I mean, that's, that's great for, for the end guys who are out there using and having a good time. But, but yeah, no, we, uh, we definitely had started with slings. I was bread and butter. The tight line sling was my first real product. Um, and I, I started it with three critical things that frankly just drove me nuts. You know, like I hated a bunch of stuff on my chest. Um, so I wanted to keep my chest clean. I hated how bags would ride on my casting shoulder. Um, I mean, if I was, if I'm casting all day, why put that extra weight and burden on the shoulder that you're doing, doing your job with um, while you're out there? Um, it's just, it would, my, my shoulder would be so tired at the end of the day, you know, carrying it. And, uh, last but not least, I wanted to have the, the quick access to my gear. Um, and without necessarily needing that, that third strap that a lot of them had, you know, that inevitably would just end up unclipped and dangling in the river below me. So, um, so I set out to do just that. And that's, that's kind of how we came to the market and, and brought that out. And all of our slings have, have been built around those three key pieces, um, where now our, yes, we built a sling, but it's kind of like a hybrid between a chest pack, day pack sling, um, because of how it lays the gear across your chest level and how it sits comfortably on your back when you're fishing and, um, how it stays out of your way, but is easily accessible. So it's, it's been a recipe for success, so to speak for us. Yeah. Interesting. And where do your design inspirations come from and i mean i guess i'm kind of asking you that in two places one artistically and, and two functionally artistically I, I i hate to call myself an artist i'm not but uh, a lot of the visual comes from me um and just what i what i see the brand looking like and where it needs to come through like i just wanted nice simple clean lines um, there's a lot of curves and, and otherwise, if you look at cars today, you know, like there's, there's a lot of those curvy Ford Taurus looking, <laughs> you know, Toyota Corollas, you know, out there. And then now we're starting to, to see some, some other lines and things that kind of change that mold. And so I, I went that direction. Yeah. We still got some, some natural curves where they need to be, but we're trying to, to build, you know, things that store square objects like fly boxes. So why not try to build around that line and then keep those lines nice, smooth, straight and clean. And that's where that came from, from an aesthetic. But uh, as far as our active designs and ideas, 90% of them come from people, you know, like you, 
uh, give me a call. I mean, our, our real case is a great example. You know, uh, Paul Puckett of Floodside is a good friend, and he gave me a call. He's like, man, I'm getting so sick of real cases that put a kink in my line when I have it strung up on the boat. You know, I got it's either bending the tip over when I go to rip or pull it up. If it's already strung tighter, I got to leave some slack, but then it always puts a little kink in my line. He said, can you build me a real case where the line just goes straight to the first stripping guy? And we did. And that's, you know, still a, a major accessory in our line and no kink real case or, you know, and a number of others. I could go on for a couple of uh, episodes here with you about all the different ideas and where they came from. But a lot of it comes from real feedback from real folks, you know, and the rest of it comes from me being a, a, an angler and a, a fisherman and somebody who loves the outdoors and just wants to make the most of it. So what my own experience can't lend, other people give. Yeah, very, very neat. And, you know, obviously, you know, you've perfected, um, you know, your your design and your build process. You know, when people look at one of your packs or slings, you know, how many man hours are involved in one of those today? <laughs> well, I today we could probably crank them out pretty quick. Um, we've gotten our system dialed in really well. Um, like the beast sling used to be a, a couple hour build. You know, you sit down from the time that you, you start tracing out the patterns and cutting until um, the time that it's finished and you're trimming off the threads and, and you know, touching it up for, for shipping. I mean, it was, it was easy a couple hours. Um, and it got to the point where I was building anywhere between 40 and 50 in a batch by myself. And when you start doing those that early, you know, you just kind of, you, you learn how to cut. I hate to say cut corners because that's not how it's done, but um, cut out stuff that's unnecessary. Um, drop the fat, so to speak. So it's a leaner, meaner machine, and it's easier to put together, and it's more durable in the long run as a result. And that's that's ultimately what we've done. So the current beast, I I, I think we can turn out two of them in, in an hour and a half now is what Meredith's doing them at. And, uh, you know, sometimes if she gets a bigger batch, she can do them even quicker than that. Um, but when you build everything one at a time, so to speak, or, you know, as orders come in, you, you just kind of small batch it and keep cruising. Yeah. I mean, it's really, you know, when you're saying that it makes me think about being a, a successful production fly tire, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, you're not cutting corners, but you've, you've got uh, all the extra fluff out of the system. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you look at a bulky fly with all the bells and whistles and all the extra stuff, you end up with a hair's head big as a chubby (laughs) so like nobody wants to fish that and it's never going to work you know so that's a a really good analogy maybe for for what vita is all about you know it's lean and mean and clean and no big step downs and tapers and things that shouldn't be there and it, it catches fish right yeah, very, yeah, very neat. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because it, it had been, a, I mean, like we were talking earlier today, and, you know, I can remember really kind of really early on in the company's history, and, you know, you had a few really well-done products, but now you've got a pretty expansive product line. You want to kind of give uh, folks kind of the lay of the land? Yeah, absolutely. Now, so from top down, I mean, realistically, slings is still a big part of what we do. We've got a variety of slings, just kind of fitting different needs. So everything from the little bugger for, for kids who are kind of getting started and um, and otherwise matching. The, the tight lines is still uh, a piece of our line, that original sling. That's uh, actually the lightest sling pack on the planet right now. Um, if you're looking for something lightweight and minimal, um, it's a great piece for that. Um, all the way up to the Beast, which is 
still one of our hallmark pieces in our line. I mean, it's, it's, it's solid and uh, a few in between. I mean, we've got one that's designed for, for the strap for women um, that lays more comfortably and conforms naturally to their contours up front. Um, and we've got, uh, you know, a slightly smaller design uh, for, for folks called the Ripple that fits smaller statures and the seam is kind of that mid-range sling, but still built for the, the full-size adult. But realistically, they're all just different sizes of the same product, you know, to, to effectively fit different folks and different folks' needs. Um, we do the day packs, you know, the spinner and the hex have been solid. The new, uh, the new day packs have been great. Um, and a ton of small accessories. I mean, I, like you say, I, I could go into it for, for quite a while. I think the best way to just check it out is look at our website. I mean, hate to, hate to make it sound like a marketing pitch, but, but do so. I'm not even going to tell you the address right now, but, uh, um, <laughs> but I'll drop it in the, sound, yeah, uh, I'll drop it in the show notes <laughs> to make it easy for everybody. Okay. Well, I don't want it to seem, you know, like a marketing piece here. I'm happy to just tell my story for folks, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a lot of those, but now I'm having fun with different materials and, and different means, right? So we got into, uh, we did our legacy line now, which is all made out of this heavy duty. It's like, used to be, you could buy a, a Filson pack, you know, and you knew you were getting something serious, you know, that tin cloth was real. Tin cloth isn't the same as it used to be, you know. Now we're, we, we found the, the highest quality wax canvas on the planet. You know, it's a 18 ounce wax filter twill. It's unbelievable. It's rugged. It's durable. It's not over heavy. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice, you know, and we're, we're blending that with our, you know, the, the, the premium kind of technical fabric. So you get that luxury without the, um, without this compromise and sacrifice, so to speak, you know, uh, which has been cool. We did some dry mesh stuff. So some quick dry stuff. We've got the new, uh, PVC coated vinyl series, um, our kind of our flagship line there. And that's all built to be, um, extra water protection without like that high end submersible price point. Like if you go out and you try and price a submersible sling, compare it to our high end, you know, that, you know, flagship sling built here in the States. Um, I think you'll see a pretty distinct dichotomy right out of the gate. Um, not to mention the fact that you can pick whatever colors you want, you know, like if you want to go, like what, what's your favorite team? How about you? We'll make this you right now. You're a customer. What, what's your favorite sports team? Oh gosh. Well, if it's NFL, you know, people will hate me, but I'm an old school, legitimate Dallas Cowboys fan and a Duke basketball fan. So. Well, it's been nice talking to you. I hope you have a good one. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, okay. So if you want to go light gray and white, navy blue, we could do that. We could have some fun with it for you. Maybe we could find an old school Dallas Cowboys patch and throw it on there for you too. I mean, it, the, the key here is we, we build gear with soul, you know? So if you want to, if you want something to be you and to do your way, we're, we're all about it. It makes it fun for us. So that's why we do the microburst now. You know, we just, uh, you talk football. I mean, we had a and and that patch from 1985, the year that the the Bears won the Super Bowl, a long, long time ago. You know, I know Bears fans probably remember, but uh, we picked up one of those, put it on one of our accessories, and it sold out real quick. It was a one of a kind, but gosh, it was fun to make. You know, and it gets people excited, and uh, a lot more of those to come. Yeah, very very neat. And you know, kind of going back to to your creation story, you know you know, entrepreneurs are never done. And you basically uh, told us about your down to your last $700 and you got a sewing machine and some materials and you had $12 left over. Do you remember the moment that you knew you were going to be able to make a go of it with, uh, with Vita Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, 
So the first year we sold $12,000 worth of product. Well, the first serious year. Um, and that came after I just drew a line in the sand and said, I can't find a manufacturer that I can count on. I'm just going to do it myself. And, uh, we got through that first year and I went back to IFDD for a second time. The first one I went to, I literally was sitting up with pallets that were propped up against chairs that a friend of mine had kiped out of the Sims booth. Sorry, Sims. Um, if you were a chair too short, that's why I, I appreciate you loaning those to me. So a little guy could survive it. But, uh, um, but we got back to that second IFPD and I had folks from the industry coming around and talking to me and telling me that, you know, you, you're doing great stuff. I'm loving what I'm seeing. I, I remember Bart from Patagonia, who's now a Sims, come over and, and, you know, talk to me quite a bit and had a really, really kind conversation with him. And, um, you know, uh, I know Brian Bennett from Moldy Chum talked about we, how we were one of the coolest things he saw at the show. And, um, he's, he came up, told me, he's like, everybody's talking about you, man. Like you're doing it right. Just keep trucking. And so that was, that was kind of where I felt like, all right, we're, we're moving. And, uh, let's be fair. Like a lot of that came because the industry is what it is. I mean, this is an industry where people help each other and they look out for each other to an extent. I'm not to say that there aren't some cutthroat competitors out there. They are. Um, and if you look pretty, pretty lightly at the surface, you'll be able to pick them out. Uh, but, uh, but those ones that are there um, for the right reasons are what makes this industry so special and why I'm so proud to be a part of it and why I'm proud to pay it forward when I can and uh, continue to give back. And I look forward to many more opportunities to help out young guys, gals like myself that are wanting to start something and, and help them along that same path the way that Yvonne Chouinard did for me and so many others since have. So. Yeah, it's neat too. Cause you know, I think it's, you know, maybe not in the handmade space, but I think, you know, the, the tools to be really creative and create things have probably never been better than they are right now. No, absolutely not. Not to mention just the, the access to information, you know, even just in the last 10 to 15 years from when I was first starting to try and do this versus now, I mean, if I was doing it today, you know, I would, I'd be over the moon with the access to some of those things that I could have today that I didn't have then. So yeah, you're, you're spot on there. The barrier to entry is much lower. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause it's not quite the same as what you were talking about on the design perspective, but like my boys, you know, you can go and, uh, you know, you can go and have custom made vans, right. And they're, yeah. they're not terribly expensive. And I mean, literally if you, whatever logo you want, you can give them the yard and like in three weeks they show up at your house. It's pretty slick. Yeah. And that's the, the breakdown of that, that line for transport and shipping and otherwise from things being made overseas and getting them here quick. And that's one of the things that I'm going to have to face challenges with as, as things go on, no doubt. Um, fortunately we're, we're doing that today and we've been doing that kind of one-off manufacturing method for years. You know, for those who knew to ask, they could ask and they could get what they wanted. Um, but, uh, but outside of that, you know, like we're, it's, it's going to be more and more, uh, along those lines where people can get those customized deals. I mean, I'm just waiting for somebody to say, come in, let me laser scan your body so we can custom build some waiters for you. Cause I'll be first in line for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tall drink of water with real long legs and not a lot of waiters fit me real well. So yeah. It is what it is. And there are a lot of skews out there too. So, <laughs> oh man, let me tell you. 
but but you know talking about challenges and we've touched on this a couple times um in, in earlier conversations you know obviously COVID has had a huge impact on everybody it's had a huge impact on the industry you know i know that early on it really hit your demand and you had to furlough some of your employees and you know we're you know the delta things moving around now so i have to knock on wood to say that you know hopefully we're well you know down the the tunnel and seeing the light on the other side but you know what are you seeing in terms of you know business outlook now you know i know some people in the industry are having extreme supply chain problems um you know what are you seeing uh with vitavu well that's one of the perks of doing things the way we do we don't have to wait um, for a boat to get unstuck out of the Suez Canal <laughs> for us to be able to build for boats. Um, so we've, we've been able to stay kind of ahead of that curve as far as supply goes. Um, we also don't, didn't have to pre-order a bunch of stuff only to have to discount it, you know, when, when the demand wasn't there. So we dodged some bullets in that regard. But um, the challenges that we have faced certainly have been related to increased costs and lead time on inputs. Um, but, but moreover, just, just the overall vibe in the world and everything else like that has, has been tough to overcome. Um, I hate to, to paint a negative picture because in a lot of ways it's been a very positive, um, thing for the company. And for me personally, it made me grow up a lot, uh, made me mature a lot in this process. I mean, I was trying to raise, uh, you know, who is now a two-year-old and a four-year-old, um, with a 16 year old kicker, <laughs> um, last year, uh, when they were one and three and 15, um, without daycare and with homeschooling. And it's, it's the battles that so many folks have been having to face and trying to still make a living along that line. Um, it, it was not easy to put it mildly. I mean, my wife and I were trying to take effectively 40 to 50 hour jobs and crank them into 15 to 20 hours a week because we were, we were home with the kids, um, the rest of the time, just splitting time and being ocean or vessels passing in the night. Um, but the hardest part for me, I think was that, that eight to 12 week period. I don't, I don't remember the exact, it was somewhere in there, almost three months where the, the state shut us down. I mean, we were considered a non-essential, you know, uh, operation and therefore unable to proceed work. And, uh, I even offered to the state the opportunity to, to have me build masks you know, for first responders in the sort, and they never called me back <laughs> just to try and just to try and keep the doors open. Um, but in some ways it was cool just to, to go back to the basement for a little while and remember where I came from and, um, uh, remember those harder times and those leaner times and, and just one more, one more notch in the, you didn't die belt, you know, and just keep trucking on. I think that Delta is going to be challenging and I think that folks should be, be mindful of it and safe of it and, do what they can do to protect themselves and their loved ones and people around them. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we get out of this less scathed than the first time around. But, uh, you know, I, I worry, you know, IFTD is around the corner and I would love to be there, but I've, I've already made the decision to not be there this time around. Um, just for the sake of my loved ones and otherwise, and we're going to do an online trade show, I think, and, uh, let people come to my booth, wink, wink, so to speak through my website and check out what we do maybe give that access to the everyday consumer as well. So they can just shop around and learn what we do that way. Um, it's just going to force us to be more creative and more focused on the things that really matter. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shifting gears a little bit, you know, other than COVID or let's say it a different way, if COVID had never happened, you know, 
what would be the greatest challenge or surprise over your Vita Vu experience? Greatest challenge or surprise over the, the last 12 years, my goodness. Um, I'll give you two or three if you need them. <laughs> two or three hours to figure that out? No, uh, I, uh, I'll tell you, it's, I think the, the overcoming the basement days, growing out of the basement so it's been called the basement days because i work from home and the folks who worked for me worked from their homes and we just kind of I, I cut all the fabric in my basement and delivered kits to folks and let them do their thing i had one other gal that kind of cut her own on demand and we just kind of made it work um now we have the workshop which is a really cool space i mean it's a 150 year old mill building where steinway pianos used to be produced um and we're still cranking out creative out of it, which is super cool. But, uh, uh, moving into that space was, was awesome. The downside is I, I think we were right on that, that ledge of really, really exciting times ahead when COVID hit. So I, I wish it hadn't, cause I would have loved to see what, what could have come out of that timeline. Cause we were, we had that momentum. We had that gusto. We were ready to really crank and deliver some cool stuff. And then it kind of slowed us down a little bit, but in that same regard, it's, it's definitely opened the door to some other opportunities and some other exciting stuff that we've done. And if anything, maybe force me to put the brakes on, pump the brakes a little bit and remember who we are and what we're about and where we came from and to not lose sight of what we are, you know? Um, but I, I would have to say that the most exciting time for me was when I, uh, I took my first paycheck <laughs> after years and years and years of just struggling through. And like, I think it was like six or seven years I went without a paycheck. I'm um, just trying to make it work, plowing every penny I had back into the business and got that first paycheck. That was a, that was a cool moment. And, uh, and the, and the few that I've gotten since, <laughs> no, it's, it's been, uh, it's just all been a, such a cool road all the way along. And, you know, I, again, I could probably fill up three or four episodes with everything that's come from it, but, um, there's great joy in, in building things that, you know, is going to make people's recreation even better and, and getting those messages has been great. Yeah, and I imagine when you kind of get back to the workshop full time, you know, that uh, I always think, you know, it's kind of challenges and failures that help you grow. Because if you have an unlimited string of successes, you don't really learn a whole lot, right? I definitely learn more from the failures than I have from the successes, for sure. Yeah, and so, I mean, I would imagine you'll be primed to be, you know, leaner and more creative. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Definitely leaner. We've, <laughs> we've made the most of short time. And that's been good. Yeah. So, yeah. Get me back for five days a week and look out world. Here we come. Yeah. There you go. And you know, what advice do you have for folks that are trying to break into the industry? Don't be afraid to talk to folks, ask questions, reach out to people. I mean, Yvonne Chouinard was there for me, you know, and gave me advice and, uh, you know, Stephen Campbell from far bank, you know, the guy who was CEO of far bank at the time was, was very, very helpful. And, uh, Mr. Campbell was great. Um, and at Bart, and I mean, like I say, everybody, they were just very inclusive and very supportive and willing to give you a straightforward answer. And those that weren't were the ones that you had to watch out for. Um, you know, and it was pretty, pretty clear, um, right up front. But, um, but yeah, you, the only way you ever make it is to, is to ask questions and, and just get your feet wet. You know, you don't, you don't catch any fish if you don't get in the river. Yeah. And I think too, I think, you know, what you're all, you're also seeing is, you know, when you're sincere and earnest and want to work hard, it gets reflected back at you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so, you know, also kind of stepping back and talking about the brand a little bit, you know, I also, you know, I, I 
I knew kind of from our our paths have crossed in the past that, you know, you were active with pig farm and trout unlimited and things like that. But I thought one thing that was, yeah, one thing that was really cool on your website is how you support other makers. And and I wanted to just kind of give you an opportunity to kind of talk about all these things that you do to kind of give back and why they're important to you and why they're important to the brand. (laughs) That's a, that's a, I don't really know how to answer it other than to say it's just, it just feels like it's a responsibility to a certain level. Like, uh, um, like if I was only out for myself in this, I'd be doing it for the wrong reason. I, I want this and it sounds almost cliche to say, but I want, I want to leave the world better than I found it. You know, the same way that I wanted to leave a campsite better than I found it, you know? And I know I only make backpacks, but at what level can I make a difference through that? I mean, over the years, I know we've reached out, and, um, showcase the number of artists that were kind of up and coming and, and look at them now. I mean, um, I'm so happy to see some of the growth some of them have done. Um, it's been cool to be able to work with small brands. They were just getting started. Whiskey Leatherworks was one of them. They're still selling their, uh, you know, their floating holders today. And, uh, look at them now. I mean, they've, they've blown up and they've done a great job. And, um, Cliff Outdoors has always been, you know, a, a love of mine. Uh, Matt Castle there is a, such a genuine man and a good guy and a good friend. And, um, they're from my hometown in Casper, you know. So, it, yeah, we don't move a lot of volume necessarily, that's, but that's not what it's about, you know. Um, Streamwalker Nets, another great example. That guy hand builds everything himself. He's in his workshop. It's, it's reminiscent of those early days from me. Um, but it's good to be able to do those. I've got a promo coming soon um, where I'm actually going to partner up and, and do a collab with a little outfit called Banana Good Luck. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that one. Um, and it's just a, a fella kind of putting out some fun stuff and, and some stickers and some hats. But it, it, it hopefully it will remind some folks that it's fishing. We're not having a good time. You know, don't don't take life too seriously. You know, just make the most of it and, and have a good time as you go. And uh, in that context, I've been, it's been a pleasure far as the, the nonprofit stuff that that's always been part of what i wanted to do from day one you know we want to give back to folks and give back to the industry i may not be able to write those fat checks but in ways that i can't give i make up for in others and that's been intentional you know so um whether it be healing waters or trout unlimited or like you say pig farming what the, the good work jay and the guys around him have been doing there um they're doing it right um, it was just a get trashed event on the Delaware river that we sponsored. Um, and they pulled out, I, I want to say like 56 tires out of the Delaware river. The second time they've done it. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Like that's a, an unbelievable fishery and it's going to be even more so because of the work that's getting done out there. So how can you not want to support that? You know? Um, but definitely excited right now to stand behind the, the stuff with TU and the, the, the effort to try and get that lower, Snake River Dam system removed. Um, try and restore some some watersheds there, and uh, make those good for the future and for kids like mine and their kids beyond them. So, just got to do it. Yeah, very neat. And you know, any other kind of news or updates? You talked about this promotion that will be coming out soon. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? You know, I I'd be remiss if I didn't end on on a high note here. Um, in the context that's non-marketing. So if you've made it this far, thank you. Thanks for listening. You know, thanks for hearing me out. Thanks for telling, uh, letting me share this story a little bit and let you know what it's, what it's like in the, in the life of a pack builder. And, um, 
this is the kind of stuff that adds fuel to the tank and keeps us cranking, you know, late nights and late days and everything else that goes with it. So I appreciate you and I appreciate all that you guys have done to, to help keep us moving. And uh, if you're new to our brand or otherwise, I look forward to the opportunity to uh, build something for you that makes it that makes it awesome. So thanks for thanks for that. And sir, thank you for having us to be able to share that message um, with your listeners. So it's super cool. Yeah, it's been a blast having you on. And uh, before I let you let you hop to, well, I don't know any good jokes, but uh, you know, I I try. I try. Uh, no, so. it's all it's all good. You know, b- before I let you hop tonight, I know you're gonna uh, not make it to IFTD. Do you anticipate if COVID things look better, maybe be doing some of the consumer shows, maybe kind of later in the winter, early in the spring? Or are you just going to kind of take it off and really kind of focus on the business? I'm keeping an eye on things. I- I definitely have enjoyed the opportunity to just put both eyes, you know, on what I'm working on right now and uh, to continue to innovate. There's a lot of big things on the horizon. I'll I'll put it that way. I don't want to give away too much too soon. Um, We have probably a dozen products that I could launch right now that I'm holding back, trying to make sure they're perfect before we bring them. And so we're going to keep having fun in the near term, but but there's some big stuff coming. And uh, I've got my hands in, in a couple other ventures that are, soon to launch too so putting some energy into those has been fun and it's it's just crazy um we're making the most of it though yeah very neat and and uh, you want to let folks know where they can they can find you find your products and follow your adventures and uh, vita Vu's adventures on the internet i appreciate that so yeah we we have a website obviously you kind of have to do these figures and that's uh vitavu.com not spelled like the park we didn't want to claim ownership of it, um, so to speak, but uh, phonetically. So V E D A V O O, and then obviously uh, when I when I'm not sewing or, or responding to emails or doing things like this, I occasionally try to get on Instagram and do a little work there too. So <laughs> if it's not always consistent, bear with me. But uh, I do share most through Instagram, and I think that trickles down to some of the other little circles too. But those are our two majors. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, listen, Scott, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out tonight to sit in your car and talk to me um, <laughs> and not listen to fire engines and uh, let your kids go. <laughs> yeah, what a night, right? For your listeners who didn't know, we had a seven-alarm fire in Dalton Street tonight, so I had to warn him that there might be a fire engine or two flying by here. So kind of dodged that bullet, and fortunately after bedtime, they, they kept the sirens off, so I don't have to worry about going into awake kids, so. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen, Scott, thank you again so much. My pleasure, sir. Be well. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. Tight lines, everybody.